Evangelization. Evangelization. Evangelium. Ma. 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 Uh, we're recording, so. Welcome back to The Christ in Culture, the show where we discuss culture as a means of evangelization by finding elements of Christ and his church revealed within. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. Gordon, how is life? Oh man, life is... I have not done this much physical activity in the last three weeks, and <laughs> especially because of the pandemic, than like, I, I don't know, I've done more than I've done in like three years combined. You were like trying to work out for a while back in like June. Was. Yeah. And I did it for a little bit. And just um, cut off. Yeah. First time I did Exodus, I did work out for 90 days. So. Wow. But even, even with that combined, I think I've done more in three weeks recently. Wow. Yeah. I started moving into my new house and uh, yeah, my body was just like wrecked after one day of moving furniture. It was like. Yeah. I am officially getting old. <laughs> I did, however, because we've been moving a lot of furniture too. It was a long time ago that Davis, shout out to Davis, uh, mentioned these straps that you like hook to your forearms. That yeah. helps. And I bought some of those before we did all this. And that has been a lifesaver. Wow. Okay. I've never actually used them before. They're amazing. I mean, it doesn't make it like easier. So don't expect like furniture just to feel weightless, but it just removes the strain from a lot of the points where you have to stop and readjust or stop and take a break. And you can just like carry heavy furniture, like no problem. That's awesome. So it's supposed to save your joints like big time too. Yeah. So I bought them and then luckily, cause me and Liz will be moving as soon as we get back, we'll start moving and uh, I'm, I get to bring them back with me. Nice. Yeah. I just realized uh, you're getting back two days after I'm moving all of my big heavy furniture. I was totally just going to ask you to borrow it, but no, that's totally fine. Uh, I don't have that much stuff. Anyway, so you've been talking a lot though about how you're trying to find like balance of like doing some good, relaxing, more uplifting things too in the middle of like all this chaos and moving and whatnot. So what have you been taking in as kind of like your relaxation? Yeah. The big thing is Mario Odyssey. Yeah. I mentioned last week, Lizzie's kind of upset with how much I've been playing it now because <laughs> we played it together and we beat the story, but now I'm trying to go for a hundred percent because when you beat the story, you're only at like 15% of everything you can do. So I'm now at like 60 to 70% and I'm just trying to get it off. Is it kind of like the, like the Lego video games where you like do the mission, but there's like all these little side things you're supposed to collect. Yeah. So the, the idea is you collect moons on each new world as you go along. There's a whole story to it too, but that's like irrelevant to this and you need the moons to power your ship to get to the next world. Okay. So you collect 127 moons if you just do the main storyline. However, there are 999 moons in the game. Gotcha. And then once you get to 250, it unlocks another world. And once you get to 500, it unlocks another world if you want to. And each one has like a different like little 
nice little package of like a new ending that's like, okay, you earned this. That's and cool, so I'm up to like 580. So are you on the second world? No, I, I just go to each world and I've just been like using YouTube to like watch where certain ones are at and then going and doing the puzzles. I've done, I've maxed out two worlds and I've maxed out all but two moons on like five worlds. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like four or six more, uh, six, six more worlds to go. So wow. it's fun though. I love it. It's great. I think it's a great game. So other than that though, uh, last Sunday we started talking about Tiger King with my mom. Mm-hmm. And she'd never seen it. Oh no! So it's back. We got her, yeah, we got her to watch the first episode, and she was like shocked. And then afterwards, she's like, "I can't, I can't do this." And we're like, "Oh, it's so good." And she's like, "I can't." She's like, "So just, just tell me everything." So we told her everything, and then the next morning, we woke up eating breakfast, and she's like, "Hey guys, I want to watch more Tiger King." <laughs> so now we're on like we have like three episodes left. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. And then the last thing is me and Lizzie started watching uh, Waco. Oh, isn't it so good? It is. Well, it's also one of those shows. It's like, it's good, but it's bad. Yeah, it's it's like you don't want it to be good, but it is. It's one of those things where people refer to Waco, you know? They always be like, oh, it's going to be like the next Waco, or this could be, you know, whatever. But I don't know that much about it. I had never heard of it. Never. Really? Until this year. Okay, yeah, I've I've known about it for a long time. I just never, and now I understand why I don't know so much. Is because it was a cover up. Yeah, neither end of every. Yeah, so we've been watching that, um, and that's that's everything. What about you? Yeah, that's that's a solid show. And also, Tibby, the guy that survived, he was in the show, yeah. like the actual guy. I don't know if you caught that. That is him at the very end. Oh, we we're, we're, we still have three episodes left. Oh. Well, That's okay. he's in like the second last episode, I think. That's cool. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> what I've been taking in. So I have been listening to John Bellion again a lot. The Human Condition, which we did an episode on a while back together. And then I watched the animated kids movie Ants, which I haven't watched since I was a really little kid. Oh, man. It popped up on Hulu as like recommended. And I was like, I love that movie it's so good but nobody else likes it because bugs life outshined and they came out at the same time i how know does, how does that happen how is there like two movie industries that are both like you know what we need an insect movie that's what we need it's i don't know just... i'm sure bugs were like the dinosaurs of our generation because like dinosaurs are a big thing with kids now but we had dinosaurs too there was literally the movie dinosaur and then there that's was true. land before time there's also we're back yeah, there's, there's just so many of them. I don't know. So that, and then really the only thing I've been taking in is a song from a South African musician that's kind of taken off, but it's called Jerusalema by Master KG. And mm. it's now like an international dance challenge. You know how they have mm. like the weird things that take off. But yeah, so it was like popping up on like videos all over the place, but it's super catchy and makes me dance all the time so i listen to it but then i looked up the lyrics because obviously jerusalem is jerusalem right right and all the lyrics are like my my home is not here please take me with you to to our home okay jerusalem it's like psalms almost yeah it's like a prayer and so it's it's really cool there's only like six lines to the whole thing that just gets repeated so i don't think we do an episode on it but it is really interesting definitely some judeo-christian 
like messages in it. So it's cool that that's becoming such a big thing, even with that kind of message. Yeah, that reminds me of two other things I forgot I was taking in. One was a podcast. I've mentioned it before on here, but in case you're a new listener, it's called The Dollop. It's pretty much my favorite podcast at this point in my life. It's crude, crude language, so be aware of that. But for me, it's just they touch on all the most ridiculous or insane parts of American history. So like we just finished a podcast today, me and Lizzie, where they're talking about like colonial dentistry, which was just a nightmare. Like what they did back in their teeth back in like the 17 to 1800s was awful. George Washington with his... He was one of them. Wooden teeth or whatever. No, they talked... Well, he doesn't have wooden teeth, but they did talk about him. Yeah. And he like pretty much lost all of his teeth very quickly. And it's just... Yeah. I can go into that forever. But that's a hilarious podcast. Makes me laugh. But also you are learning, even though it's kind of like useless history. And then the other thing is a band, and I want to bring this up because you just mentioned music, and I think you would actually like this, but it's a band my or a DJ my brother just showed me. His name's Game Chomps. Game Trumps? Game Chomps. Chomps. Okay. Yeah. Game Chomps. One word, Game Chomps. And it's a, I forgot what it's called, but he's a DJ. So he does like that kind of like a Tech, techno or club or something. Yeah, House. like EDM, but it's like chill beats, but it's all like chill beats and mixes on like video games so he has like a whole album that's zelda he has a whole like pokemon album nice and he does like each music of like this is the trainer one's called like trainer song one's called like each town in one of in one of the pokemons and but they're like it's actually really good music to like study or work to that reminds me of it was several weeks ago now but i was watching Yu-Gi-Oh a while back just for kind of fun and i brought up to davis who you just mentioned that I thought the Yu-Gi-Oh theme would make like an awesome like trap mix. I'm sure he's done it. Like he just does stuff like that. There's a bunch of them. I, I looked a few up, uh, but yeah, so I, I'll have to check that out. That's good. So the other thing that I, I did take in was I, I finished what we're going to be talking about today, which is part two of Avatar The Last Airbender. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you definitely should do that before listening to this one. We are going to be covering mostly season three and then specifically the character arc for Prince Zuko, who is probably the most loved character in the entire show. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you want to get all of this stuff before that, go check out last week's episode for season one and season two. If you have not seen the show at all and you're planning on seeing the show, watch it before listening to this episode because they're Definitely will be major spoilers, hands down. So before we even get started, I do want to give another shout out to the people who requested this. So Cody and Kenzie, shout out to you guys again for making this happen. Just a reminder, after this, we are going to be doing a special episode just for our patrons, which is going to be taking quotes from Uncle Iroh and seeing what that means for our spiritual life as Christians too. So if you're interested in that, you can become a patron at Patreon dot com slash the christian culture with that let's go and get started with our synopsis i guess for season three okay so this is kind of where everything starts to come together i guess we see a lot of reoccurring characters coming and just reaching the end of their story arcs and they launch an invasion against the fire nation and the first one fails and zuko 
has, like we said, one of the best redemption stories of all time. And then they ultimately come together. He joins them in this new team avatar and they try to take down the fire Lord and establish peace, which ultimately we said spoilers. Ultimately they do succeed not without loss in, in the process though. So is there anything we want to touch on from just like characters or anything like that? I, I think most of the major stuff had already been touched on last week, but I wanted to give you a chance if you thought of anything. No. I mean, I have like a unrelated thing I wanted to talk about at some point, but I want to kind of cover everything in this first. So, Okay, cool. Then let's just jump straight to some of the themes. And if we get through the themes, we can go through some more specific stuff after that. So the first thing I wanted to bring up is two themes that we actually talked about last week, but they are so central. And you had also mentioned one of them coming up this week. So I thought it'd be appropriate. So the first one is hope, which ultimately I think is probably the most reoccurring theme in the entire show. And one thing I did want to mention since we're talking about Zuko this week is that early on in season one, Iroh pointed out to Zuko that the Avatar was not just a symbol of hope for the world, but even gave Zuko himself hope. Because when Zuko was feeling completely lost and not able to go back home, the one thing that would give him his ticket back to the Fire Nation in his eyes was to capture the Avatar. So in a way, the Avatar was this beacon of hope, even for Zuko in his corrupted way. Oh, even for the Lord. Ozai? Yeah, because his idea of hope through the Avatar was that if the Avatar was destroyed, everything that he desired could come true. Yeah, it would be like locked in. No one could do anything. Right. Yeah. So like every everything was hinged on the Avatar in the sense of hope. Yeah. Hardly an episode goes by without mention of hope in some way. So I just thought it would be important for us to bring that up again because it is so central. I don't know if you wanted to rehash anything with that, but... No, I mean, not really if we're trying to stick really with season three, but I guess the one thing I can't remember if we were to talk about it last time is something just came to mind by you saying that it's it's almost mentioned every episode, if not, it is. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important about that when it comes to hope is just like the aspect of living hopefully in our daily lives. Mm. Not just like finding something new to hinge our hope on that'll get us through like, okay, I hope, you know, I make it to the new year. I hope to make it to the end of this resolution or thing, like finding things to make it through. And then once we reach that goal, we have to make another thing to be helpful for, but just like learning how to live with hope every day. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause literally they had to have that conversation all the time. Right. And, and it was different characters too, you know, like we said last week, it's usually Katara was the the voice of hope, but a lot of the time she was suffering with it too. So yeah, I think that is important. Yeah. So the other one I wanted to bring up really briefly from, from last week was justice and mercy. You had brought up an awesome point that I think was, would be better hashed out on this episode. But yeah. So justice and mercy, you specifically brought up what that looked like in the final episode. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I know I said something that was awesome. I just don't know what it was. Yeah. 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 It was the final episode and we are going to be going out of order on this. We're assuming that you guys have seen the show at this point, especially if you've already listened to one of our episodes. So uh, this is a huge spoiler. This is the end, end of the entire show. But do you want to break that down of what you were thinking of last For week? For sure. Yeah. 
So last week we were kind of talking about this theme of justice and mercy, and we didn't really touch on this part just because it was more for this podcast, which is kind of season three, but it's the very, yeah, what he just said, it's the very last episode. And it's pretty much how Aang decides to handle defeating Lord Ozai. And it's a buildup of like three or four episodes where Aang is struggling because everyone's telling him the only way to stop this problem is to kill Lord Ozai. Mm-hmm. And he Even struggles. Even the other avatars. Yeah. Like the other, well, sort of. But yeah, for some of them, they're like, yes, like I'll, I have to do whatever I have to do, even if that's it. Kiyoshi. And he just struggles with that forever because morally, he, one, he's like a kid and all these things. He just doesn't. And he's, he's a, like you, you mentioned in the last episode, yeah, the different like aspects of each bending. And airbenders are more like monks. Mm-hmm. who were trained not to kill. They were trained to meditate and to be patient and to do anything else. And so he struggles, but in the end, he finds this perfect balance, which is a perfect representation of what it looks like, what it looks like to have a just God and a merciful God. Because you mentioned like the New Testament, the Old Testament, how people think that can, can clash. But he does defeat Lord Ozai, and then he essentially bends bending. He's a bend bender. Energy bending is what it was is what they call it. Yeah. Okay. And he takes he takes out the fire bending from Lord Ozai mm-hmm. in order to prevent him from dying. But now Lord Ozai has no power. And he says, like, your justice is that you have abused the, the gift and the talents and the power that were given to you. And so I take that away, but I'm not going to kill you because that's not justice. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm doing that out of mercy. Yeah, and one of the things I love about that scene too is he was in the Avatar state and the other Avatars, he, he kind of like loses control sometimes in the Avatar right. state because it's like right. shared with all the Avatars. And like we said, some of the other Avatars were all like, yeah, kill him. That's what needs to be done. And Aang like had an override with the Avatar state. He gained control over it and he defeated Ozai again with his own powers. Because when he transitioned out of the Avatar state, Ozai escaped, Aang beat him, and then with his own power, defeated him. And then we see this, this justice and mercy. So we, we know it was like truly, truly Aang doing that, which I th- thought was a pretty cool scene too. Yeah, no, it was great. And I actually didn't appreciate it as much as, as much as I thought until we started talking about it in this way. Because when we watched it, was he was like, well, that's kind of lame. And I was like, that's awesome. I mean, what else was so he supposed good. to do? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you hashed that out as much as we need to, since we definitely talked about that a lot last week too. So yeah. But the next one specifically for this season that kind of has been a theme throughout the whole thing, but we start to see it come together in season three is the idea of destiny. This is another one of those terms along with hope that I feel like comes up a lot especially with Zuko, he's talking about his destiny. This is what I have to do. Aang talks about his destiny as well. And this got me thinking about divine providence. So the idea that God has a plan for us and that God is interactive in our lives and stuff like that. But what we see throughout the show is that even though they know they have a destiny, and Zuko doesn't realize this until season three, Iroh has been coaching him along, showing him that even though you have this destiny, you also have the capability to change your destiny. And that's a powerful theme in a lot of movies. Like you have a destiny, but you can change it. That's kind of a trope. 
But at the same time, there's something to that, right? Because we do have this idea of a divine providence and free will, both acting on our life. And so I thought that would be something that'd be interesting to, to talk about too. So did you want to start us off or do you need some time? No, sure. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is really the end of Zuko's story arc. Yeah. When we see the accumulation of the White Lotus or like the Order of the White Lotus. Mm -hmm. And then Zuko goes to see his uncle thinking that he's going to hate him. You know, another great figure of perfect justice and mercy it would be Uncle Iroh. And he, he explains like, look, I, I don't hate you. I just knew you needed to find your destiny on your own, which is a theme we see with Zuko a lot where he like, he goes out and like leaves to learn on his own away from like being a firebender and traveling. And he teaches that to Aang, which is like a beautiful yeah. thing. Literally had an episode called Zuko alone. Yeah. He had to get away and discover that. Yeah. Right. And when like Aang gets lost on the giant turtle, he's like, maybe he just needed to discover something on his own. Like that's what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. But there's just, just this idea that he thought his destiny was to be honored by his father and to be like eventually probably the next fire lord. Yeah. His uncle knew better. And his uncle said, that's not your destiny. Your destiny is to like fix this mess. But I think in this situation, that's God's providence. God's saying like, I created you for this. And Uncle Iroh could see what God's providence was. But Zuko had like shifted his lens and shifted his own destiny to creating his own destiny to trying to hunt down the avatar, gain back his honor, be a powerful fire lord so that he can have this fulfillment of like love and acceptance that comes from God the Father, not, not his father. But it's just this idea like when he's, he's this war has been going for a hundred years, he's not that old. He's kind of just kind of brainwashed into it. He doesn't know any better. But it's not until he kind of goes out and really is like, okay, can't win. I'm just going to join the avatar. And in doing so, all these walls are broken down and he's accepted for who he is. And he sees the gifts and the talents he's been given as a firebender can be used to fix this whole issue and that you know, the world needs to be in balance. It's not until then that he realizes what his destiny is. What that looks like. Yeah, but he had the choice the whole entire time, like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, and one of the things with him too that I just thought of as you were talking there is like he wasn't that far off from the end goal. It was more right. of like how he got there. Yes. As, as we've talked about before, like how you get there is important too, if not more important than, than the goal itself sometimes, right? And so he, he knew he was supposed to be Fire Lord. He didn't believe in himself that he could do it because of Azula, but he knew that he was supposed to be Fire Lord. But at the same time, he also, he also didn't shoot high enough. He almost thought his destiny was like, too little even though he knew he was supposed to be fire lord which is huge he didn't shoot big enough and not in like a prideful way but he didn't realize that he was supposed to be the fire lord and team avatar and the coach of the avatar the, the master of the avatar yeah and to reunite the the elements essentially and as we see in the next series help create this entire unified republic like so much more and to go even bigger with the dragons because he has that too. So he has like all this stuff. He just like didn't shoot high enough almost. Well, it goes back to one of the themes from last week, which is fear Yeah. because the first chance he had of 
shooting that high was when he had the chance to stop Azula from killing Aang almost. Yeah. And instead, he chose to help. And it wasn't that he thought that was the right choice. You could tell in that scene, he, he just, all those thoughts came in his head. He's like, it's not possible to be the next Fire Lord and be Team Avatar. Right. Even though my heart is telling me I should be Team Avatar, and because he knew that already by that point, this doesn't make sense. And it was just like, when God is calling us into something that doesn't compute to worldly things, mm-hmm. we get afraid because then we're risking it all. And that's, that's the thing is that the irony of what you're saying with this, with free will, is that Uncle Iroh, in this sense, is like God's providence, but he knew that he couldn't keep telling Zuko, this is what your destiny is, because Zuko was either just going to fight it, disagree, ignore it, or resist. Mm-hmm. He had to do it on his own. And it was never like forceful, but it was also never passive either. No, it was always loving and understanding. Yeah, even though Iroh is like super laid back and he would rather drink tea than do anything at this point in his life. He, he only got angry once and it wasn't like an anger. It was like a righteous anger of like, right. It was when he was stealing Appa when Zuko was. And he's like, he kind of raised his voice. He yelled, but it was like a loving anger of you were only going to listen to me if I yell at you like this. And it worked. Ultimately it got his attention. Well, for, for a little bit. But before we just kind of discuss the, the entire um, like redemption arc, let's actually dive into that as a okay. theme because I think so much more is going to come out of that conversation too. So this is probably what I did the most research on as far as our, our topic for today. But when I first spoke to Kenzie about this and he had requested the topic it was, it was over a year ago. It might've even been over two years ago when he first mentioned it, but he mentioned that he saw Zuko's arc similar to St. Augustine in mm. some ways. And then Iroh as his St. Ambrose. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if there's too much to, to say on that other than the idea that if, if you're not familiar with St. Augustine, St. Ambrose, St. Augustine was rebellious. He was worldly. He <laughs> read his book, The Confessions, and you'll kind of get an idea of, of where we are. But I'm pretty sure he even fathered a, a child out of wedlock. He went off and was part of a heresy for a while. His mother all this time was just praying for him and praying for him and hoping that he would convert. And eventually he found St. Ambrose, who he actually apparently went to St. Ambrose to try and show how dumb St. Ambrose was for being like a bishop and a a Catholic Christian. And after these conversations, he ended up converting. And so we have this idea of like the patient teacher who is kind of loving this rebellious sinner, I guess, back into finding where they're supposed to be. So that's kind of the idea of of that story, I think. Do you have anything else on him as St. Ambrose? No, not as a saint. So I was just thinking, because when you said that, I was like, oh man, who's he remind me of? And I thought about uh, Kylo Ren. <laughs> okay. Better than Kylo Ren though. Like it's, it's what Kylo Ren's story could have been, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like the yeah, same idea of created for good, stuck on the dark side for, like you said, almost the right reasons. And then... Because of disillusioned family expectations right that sounds great cool so when the show begins zuko is 
hands down the villain. But later on, he is considered, well, actually, even like after the show, years later, it's what, 15 years later, however long it's been. He's now the most loved character in the show and considered one of the greatest heroes of the entire storyline. Even so much so, like I said, we see his character arc continuing into the Legend of Korra too. And so one of the questions I thought of when I was kind of thinking about how does he transition from like season one where he's the most hated character Maybe not the most. Zhao was kind of annoying too. But Zuko was up there. So how does he go from that to being one of the most loved characters in all of Nickelodeon history? But there's this idea of like great villains becoming redeemed that we love as human beings. And I thought that'd be an interesting thing to talk about. And just what is it about this? And so I don't know if you have anything right off the bat. Otherwise, I think the story itself might kind of reveal some of that too. No, let's, let's keep going. Okay. I think one of the reasons that we specifically relate to Zuko is because he is such a kind of gray character in his choices. He makes a lot of mistakes. And sometimes I think it's difficult for us to relate to the good guys because we don't always see ourselves as being good. We are typically the most critical of ourselves. And that's why a lot of times it's so helpful to have like other people to talk to and remind you that there is good in you because a lot of people struggle to see that. Right. And so I think there's something that we connect to him with that. But as we look at his story arc, one of the things we noticed that his redemption isn't a linear thing. Like you mentioned before he falls, he has this path where season two, we're like, yes, he is redeeming himself. He is on his way and he's going to be good. And then when he has the opportunity, he betrays his progress altogether and he's like right back where he started if not worse because now he's with the, the bad guys right so not only that but over time he becomes very in tune with who he is and his identity we see that a lot in uh, the episode Zuko alone where he has those flashbacks to his mother and he has to embrace his identity which ultimately makes the the friends that he met on that episode the earth kingdom friends hate him for being fire nation but ultimately he also gets a very strong understanding of his emotions like we spoke of last week the emotions become critical to being a master bender and he realizes that and especially in season three he has to learn new ways to bend because he has given up his his anger and his wrath and and fighting out of out of those things with that i want to dive into a few points that were made in an article that i read by Geeks Under Grace. We'll kind of break that down. But for those of you who don't know, we always put links in our episodes where you can find out some of the resources that we use on the show to, to bring stuff together and just some interesting stuff that we find in, in the process. So I'm going to put a few articles down there about this specific topic. So one of them is the Geeks Under Grace article. Another one is from a place called Dot and the Line. And then there will be a few other ones later that we can talk about too. So just make sure you guys check that out if you want more. This article, I think, does a really good job of breaking this down in a way that we can see Zuko's redemption arc in light of our fall as humanity. And ultimately, from the fall, we can see that as, as Christians today as well. So in season one, we see pride. Zuko is full of himself. He is full of what he perceives to be his honor and his mission and will do whatever it takes, no matter who has to pay the price, as long as he gets 
what he thinks he's supposed to do or he deserves. So we see pride is the beginning. Season two, we see, like you just mentioned, the opportunity for redemption where he has the opportunity to choose between what Iroh has been helping him with and what he perceived as what he wanted or what he was called to, uh, even though he knew it wasn't right. So with that, with the opportunity, he has temptation and ultimately betrayal. And that's where we have the fall. So this is like the, the fall of man. In theology, it's pretty widely accepted that pride is the root of all sins, right? And so we see starts with pride. We enter into this opportunity, which also has temptation because of the free will that we talked about before. And ultimately he chooses incorrectly and leads to betrayal. And one of the things I want to point out here is a conversation with him, Azula and Iroh at the first part of this conversation. It's really just Azula and Iroh both talking to him, trying to convince him, I suppose. And so this is when he's trying to make the decision of what to do. So Azula says, you can still redeem yourself. Zuko. Iroh says the kind of redemption she offers is not for you. Azula says, you will have everything you want. And so at this point, hopefully listening to this, this conversation, you can see Azula sounds very much like the Satan figure in Genesis mm-hmm. during the fall of man. You will have everything you want. This will redeem you. And Uncle Iroh says, this is not the redemption that is for you. This is not real. And in that moment, and in that way, we go back to what you were just mentioning before of how Iroh is more than just this father figure. In this moment, he's also showing this these characteristics of a God figure, God the Father, which I think is interesting too. And then later on, at the very end of season two, the last episode, we have Zuko having everything he perceived he wanted at the time, but he goes to Azula and says, I betrayed uncle. And Azula says, no, he betrayed you. Again, kind of like turning the the truth on its head to use lies to to corrupt him, and she is clearly like the the princess of of lies, right? Going off of that theme, <laughs> which brings us to this season. And in season three, we see at first anger. I think throughout the entire first half of the season, he's just angry. He has literally everything he wants, and there's a lot of conversations which hopefully we can we can break down a little bit more. Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and just go for it. All right. So this is from the episode five, which is when they're on the beach at their their beach house. And so Zuko says this. For so long, I thought that if my dad accepted me, I'd be happy. I'm back home now. My dad talks to me. (laughs) He even thinks I'm a hero. Everything should be perfect, right? I should be happy now, but I'm not. I'm angrier than ever, and I don't know why. And so they start asking him why. And eventually he breaks down and he says that he's angry at himself. This is is what he says. Why? Because I'm confused. Because I'm not sure I know the difference between right and wrong anymore. Right. So we see that this, this fall, this decision, even though he has everything that he thought he wanted, he's lost, right? He feels like it's, it's all for naught. which also brings us back to a quote that I have So this is from a few episodes later in uh, Nightmares and Daydreams. This is after he's in like the big war meeting, which is 
a huge like full circle from his like where the, his story begins right because oh, the war meeting is where he was banished from or what, like kind of the cause of his banishment and so after that he says during the meeting i was the perfect prince the son my father always wanted but i wasn't me and so we see these things come up and then later on after that we see his conversation with his father where he explains everything but ultimately we see that he is angry at himself and he blames himself for making the wrong decision and what comes next after that conversation with his father he says right after i leave here i'm going to go free uncle and i'm going to beg for his forgiveness and he tries, he goes, but Iroh's already gone, right? And so we have this almost the entire season, they don't see each other. And so it's this entire season of he's trying to get back to Iroh, who really is in a way his real father, not biologically, but like the father figure that, that he really needs, which I also think there's kind of a story to that too, where this whole time Zuko is pursuing his biological father and trying to like get his approval when in reality, the father Iroh was pursuing him and was right there and he just didn't acknowledge. It. And so I think there's something to that too, but we have this, this whole thing of he seeks confession and, and mercy and forgiveness from Iroh. And at the end, they, they reconcile, they, they come back together. It's really interesting kind of cracking this open because parts of it, and I'm sure this would happen to anybody just because it is like a, a really perfect arc. But parts of this reminds me a lot of my conversion story. Hmm. And I think something that's kind of really important to touch on when it comes to uh, Zuko's story is like the Zuko alone and like the fact that he had to, he had the journey almost as if he wasn't part of the Fire Nation for a long time. He had the journey in other people's shoes. It took that with his uncle and he almost, he, and not almost, he journeyed in poverty where like everywhere they went, they had to find. They're starving. It was the same way the apostles did. They had to find someone to house them, to find, find people to feed them. He had to accept like offers and gifts from people. And it took that for him to see, like for the reality that he was living in, this reality of the Fire Nation is great. I'm destined to be the next Fire Lord and see like, what the impact of that was. Mm -hmm. The impact was that like there were people who despised the fire nation because it took their kids or it took certain nations whose soldiers were completely gone, which separated families and all this stuff. And every time he saw that, it just like tore a little piece away. Mm -hmm. I remember I hit a certain point where I had to like step away from my faith because I was like, I don't know if I'm Catholic because I've been raised to be Catholic just like he was raised to be a part of the fire nation or if I'm, I really do believe this. And I, you know, started just like kind of walk on my own for a long time, uh, about three years. It's just, it's just, I think the whole idea of like, it really is a personal choice is very important. And I think it goes back to two themes ago when we were talking about divine providence and versus free will. I still had free will up until I thought like, do I believe this because I was raised this way or not? But I still questioned it. And I think that's what's so important about all of that. And it, it just took until it clicked. And I just had this 
crazy moment in adoration where it was essentially that one line in by by zuko after the the conversation with his father that you just mentioned where he's like why don't you just kill me now and he says because that destiny is the avatars mm-hmm. and now i know what my destiny is goodbye and i just kind of understood like okay i know where i belong i kind of know what, what i want to do but yeah i don't know it was just kind of really interesting that i think if he hadn't have like had to hide his identity the story arc would have stayed the same yeah I, I love the way you put that though, because you're not saying like, oh, if you have a loved one who wants to turn away from the faith, you should just let them go because eventually they'll come back. That's not no, what you're saying no. uh, at all. So just to be clear, but I think- Because I was actively researching stuff. I was actively like looking up information on religions and faith. And like, I wasn't just like, I left and was just sitting in my room for right. three years. <laughs> I was doing stuff. Yeah. And- I think the the next part, the the line that I want to bring up here on the confession where he returns to Iroh kind of paints a picture that makes your story kind of more clear in a way, because like for us, we have that cool balance of divine providence and free will where God is always still there. In this story, Iroh, even though he's not always with Zuko, is always still pursuing him and, and waiting for him he's waiting for Zuko to have that choice, but he never stops pursuing. And it's the same thing in our life. So even when that person is off on their own, they're on their own in the sense like they're, they're kind of pulling away from the church or whatever that be, but God's still there. Like he, mm-hmm. he's not, not leaving them. And I think we see that happen here in, in this quote. So this is, this is Sozin's comment part two, the old masters. This is where all of the, the white Lotus masters come together. So Zuko is struggling to even go into Iroh's tent because he doesn't know how Iroh would ever forgive him. And this is for anyone who's ever gone on retreat before and seen how nervous people get before going to confession. Maybe they haven't gone in 10 years or two months, you know, but like people can get really, really nervous because they're like, how, how can anyone forgive me? of this right but then we see the power of that happen here so katara is talking to zuko and says you're sorry for what you did right zuko more sorry than i've ever been in my entire life katara then he'll forgive you he will so zuko walks in realizes that iroh's asleep sits there and waits for him to wake up and iroh as he's waking up kind of sees zuko out of the corner of his eye and just doesn't say anything he just waits and then zuko apologizes but before he can even finish his apology Iroh like runs across the the tent and hugs him and Zuko says this how can you forgive so easily I thought you'd be furious with me Iroh I was never angry with you I was sad because I was afraid you had lost your way Zuko I did lose my way Iroh but you found it again and you did it by yourself. And I'm so happy that you found your way here. And so we see kind of Iroh embracing this God, the father perspective. Prodigal son. Yeah. Not perfectly, but yeah, it's the prodigal son, right? He literally, it's like the part of the prodigal son where it says he ran to his son, right? We see Iroh like old man, fast crawling across the, the tent floor just to get to him. Right. And it's this, I've been waiting for you 
and here you are, you've, you've come home. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I, that's like a conversation I, I had with God after I came back for a long time, because I just felt immense guilt from running away. And that was, that was like a wound I had to deal with for at least probably a year up until I came out and started with a door. And it, like, that made sense. But What's really important with that conversation that you mentioned with Katara and Zuko, where it's like, you're sorry for what you did, right? And he's like, more sorry than anything, mm-hmm. then he'll forgive you. Is that that's like rationally, we can understand that. But I've experienced two times in my life one with this and one with another personal matter from when I was like much younger that if we don't forgive ourselves, then like we carry that for a long time. Like it's fine if other people forgive us, including God. We also have to allow ourselves to to forgive ourselves to receive that forgiveness too. Because right. like you like not that you're stopping the forgiveness, but you're you're still allowing the weight of what you did to to like bear down on you if you don't allow yourself to be forgiven. Right, which is why those words, "but you found it again and you did it by yourself." Mm-hmm. is so important because it's like i f- i forgave you before you screwed up but you were able to forgive yourself and say sorry and do it all on your own the prodigal son story and this just you can write novels on it right i mean people literally have right yeah <laughs> weren't you and steve both reading prodigal yeah, son by uh, Hannah yeah Nowen? yeah it's a good one yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this is kind of a very, very abbreviated version of the Zuko arc. But we, we see this, this conversion. But one of the things I love the most is that it's, like I said, it's not linear. This no. idea that you're going to just, once you have your conversion, all of a sudden you're going to be better. That's not the case. And I think there's so many good men and women that I have met over the years who were pursuing Christ and as soon as they hit like a rough patch or something got hard or, or they fell to an old sin or whatever, they just gave up and they were out and they, they left the faith and that was it. But nowhere in scripture, nowhere in our faith does it say it's going to be a one shot, easy, one and done. In, in fact, it's, <laughs> it says the opposite, right? And, and that's why we have the beauty of confession and this idea that God will always forgive us and he's, he's constantly seeking us and we have to seek him in return and ask for that forgiveness because he's, he's just sitting there waiting in the tent. Yeah. So with that, I think we can kind of dive back into some of our other themes now. We, we hit a couple that I wanted to talk about in the process of, of going through his story. But another one I wanted to speak on was the idea of failure. And I think this show does a pretty good job of showing that you can fail miserably and still be redeemed with Zuko. Like we just said, he, he was pursuing the good and he fell and then he started pursuing again and he made all these mistakes. He, he hurt Toph even when he was trying to help them, he made these mistakes, but ultimately he kept trying. And I love that about the Zuko alone episode too, where he had the flashback with his mom, where she said, the thing I love about you is that you don't give up no matter how many times he made mistakes because he was never as strong or as good as Azula. And so that's like her way of showing that she loved him. And also I had a note in here that I thought there was some Marian characteristics to 
Ursa, which is Zuko's Zuko's mom. She's amazing. Mm. Um, but for the sake of time, we, we're not going to go into that. But yeah, this idea of failure and the idea that you are never too far gone to be forgiven and redeemed. And ultimately, that circles back to this idea of hope. And right. as long as we cling to that central theme here, we know that there's still this possibility. We know that there's still this good. And if you listened last week, you know what that, that hope is for us as Christians. And it's this idea that Christ can save us. He can redeem us and he wants to, and he has promised that he will. And that's the hope that we cling to. And if that's true, then his, his mercy and his forgiveness will always triumph. So the next one is power and fulfillment. So we see Zuko in this season getting everything he wanted and feeling completely empty and not himself. He even said like, that wasn't me at all. When Azula gets her power, she goes basically insane, if not literally insane. And that's when she got everything she wanted. She was Fire Lord. She was the most powerful. But instead, we see Zuko choose to do what is good, knowing that he would be hated. And ultimately, that's where he found his fulfillment. Not in having all the things or all the power, but in doing what was right even though he knew there'd be repercussions. And this is actually something I got from another thing I'm going to put into a link below. It's a YouTube video talking about why Zuko's arc is so good, where a lot of other villain redemption arcs kind of fail. For example, the Kylo Ren one, uh, <laughs> which could have been good. But yeah, so I think that's another big thing where we see they have everything they wanted and they feel empty. and. I forgot the mental breakdown with Azula. And I think that adds to it so much because it shows it's not just a Zuko thing. It shows that power can be corruptive if you're not seeking it correctly. And we see that in the end with Zuko after the war, once he's realized who he is, his identity, and he's rooted in the identity and his, his call rather than the, the power or the title or the position, or even his relationship with May. Right. Ultimately, it comes down to that. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on those things. No, I think, I mentioned kind of earlier, I think that is clearly seen when he finally confronts his dad for the first time mm-hmm. and states, you know, like he could have taken down his dad right then and there. He redirected the lightning and had the upper hand. He mm-hmm. could have just ended the whole thing. And his dad's like, why not now? And he's like, because that's not my journey. My journey is this. And I think we can often see like an easy way out and choose that over knowing what we are supposed to be and should be doing. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I really have to add to that. But otherwise, you know, I wholeheartedly agree. When, when Azula had her breakdown near the end, I was like, oh my gosh, that could have been Zuko. Yeah, and I think that's, that's why it's so important. Right. Because it shows what would have happened if he continued on that other path? Yeah, she started to lose herself the more she followed her dad and became powerful. And that's the thing. Like, we lose our identity when we believe lies of, you know, if we're talking about the conversation earlier with, that clearly shows, like, Azula as a saint figure, she's only that role because she's following the lies and the saint figure that is her dad or even grandfather. But uh, 
it's just this this evil thing where we, we just lose more of ourselves. Ironically, Zuko had to lose himself by hiding his identity and become and joining poverty, like lose everything he had in order to find himself. Like that straight scripture of like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you want to quote it? Because I'm going to misquote it. No. Okay. I I'm so bad at memorizing scripture. I, I know the story. I'm sure it's like give me a, a, if if you. No, I think I think you were right. I think it's in losing yourself that, that we find it, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. I still remember the first part is, but I don't know. But yeah, that actually reminds me of another conversation that we've had on here. It might have been me and Steve though with Lord of the Rings in, back in season one, where we talked about the the parallel of Frodo Baggins and Gollum, right? And how okay. Gollum is what Frodo would have been if right. he didn't have the power to let go of the ring which is the symbol for sin and right. so it's it's kind of that same parallel where the way you pointed out ozai is the ring right he is this pure corruption and azula is our our golem this what could have been and i think that's yep. what makes it so powerful so i think you're you're spot on yeah so that brings us to another kind of interesting dichotomy i think this was actually pointed out by Davis, who we've mentioned a couple of times in this episode, but he's my roommate. And we were talking about the show the other day, and he brought up a point that I thought was interesting, where in season two, in the very last episode, Aang, as you mentioned, he he's killed, actually. He gets hit by lightning, and he dies for a second until Katara brings him back. Now, wait a minute. Resurrection. <laughs> yeah. But Zuko ends up sacrificing himself for Katara in the final episode as well. And he gets shot by lightning because he's caught off guard trying to protect her instead of what he was prepared to protect himself. So he lets down his guard to save her instead. And so we have Aang having his on his back, the scar, and Zuko having his scar on his chest in these complete opposite ways. And it kind of draws this parallel where Aang has his because he's always running away. And that's one of his biggest struggles is he's running away from, from whatever. And he, he's, he mentions that in season three a couple of times where he was always trained as an airbender to find ways around the obstacle rather than to address the obstacle itself. Whereas Zuko is always running recklessly forward without actually thinking about what's going on uh, or, or the consequences that might come from that. And this kind of reminded me of our, our big topic with Hamilton, the, the two-part episode we did between Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton and how they had a similar dichotomy. But I think there's something to that too, where we see this reckless pursuit versus avoiding the obstacle rather than finding somewhere in the middle, which ultimately in the end, they both do. They, they come together and, and they find a way to not run away, but to address their, their destinies or their, their callings, right? They eventually overcome that, but the scars remain, which actually leads into my next theme, which is the idea of choice or free will, like we talked about before, and real consequences. And we see this with every character, but where we really see it the most is again with Zuko and Aang, I think. And it's really just this idea of they have so many opportunities to do what is right or wrong. Zuko obviously is the one that we're talking about the most and probably where we see the most emphasis, Aang is the most obvious because he can choose to not save the world so many times or to run. Or last week when you pointed out how he had so many choices to make of what is 
what's to be done, right? They always come to him for advice and stuff. So, so many choices and we see there's real consequences. And that's one of the things I love about this show is there's always real danger. If they mess up, there's that opportunity that either they will get hurt or someone else will get hurt. And maybe it's just me, but I never felt even watching it the second time that they were ever safe, right? That they were ever truly safe. Even when they had their little mini vacations, there was always that element of there's a war. People are coming for us and the time is running out and it's a sense of of urgency. And so we, we see our actions have consequences, even though we can choose what we want. Yeah, something that I thought about when we started this, I forgot what you mentioned, but oh, it was when you're talking about like why people like Zuko. Yeah. The yeah. next series. But it goes with this too is I think it's the scar. And there's this idea with scars. I think it's like a theme in itself of just like with the back scar and the chest scar, those are hidden, but it's scar on his face that you know, like for a lot of us, you know, there's that term we like wear the heart on our sleeves and that marks scars. When we talk about it, when it comes to our faith are like our mistakes, we talk about the failure. It's just like the brokenness and we like to hide that, which is easy if it's like on your back or your chest, but when it's on your face, you can't. Mm. So he's like, he's vulnerable. And there was a scene where Katara almost heals his scar with the water. Yeah. And then Aang needs it. And so she's using it on Aang to keep him alive. And I was just looking up because I haven't seen the next series, but I was just looking at make sure he still had the scar in the new series, but he still wears it as Lord because he's like no longer ashamed of it. And then there's this idea that Aang's scar even becomes the key to unlocking the state he needs to get in to take over Lord Ozai. Because when the rock pierces that scar, like without it, he wouldn't have been able, I mean, Without it, he wouldn't. He still would have done it, but he probably would have entered into the state like recklessly. Whereas, like, it's this idea that scars are necessary. The the past and our mistakes and our failures. It goes back to the idea of what you're saying with failures. It's all a learning process. Rather than to hide that or to uh, or or be ashamed of it, to like embrace it and allow it to change you into something that makes you closer to God. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, and that actually jumps back to another episode that you and I did on the song Scars to Your Beautiful. That was a while back. Yeah, right? exactly. You can check that out too if you're familiar with that song. So I have one more theme that I would really like to cover. I, I know we're getting kind of long here again, but and it's actually from the episode The Painted Lady, which is where it, it kind of seems like a throwaway episode, to be honest. But I think it's so important. So, so important. Because basically the, the gist of this one is when the, the factory was destroying the mm-hmm. fishing village, like the water and everything, and they were starving, right? And so they come here for food, Team Avatar does, and the, Sokka just wants to get their stuff and leave. And Aang's like, I don't like it either, but he's got a point. We're running out of time. We got to keep moving. And Katara is like, no, we have to do something. And when they don't allow her to, she secretly... Well, she tricks them essentially <laughs> and then goes back and helps them anyways without them knowing. And then eventually we have Aang coming in. But it's this idea of being interruptible. Yeah, it's just this idea that we can't let our mission, even our call, get in the way of our smaller calls. Yes. This priest said it best to me one time when he was talking about how he'd like go visit his family 
I think it was his sister and, and her kids or whatever. And he would be like praying there. And then his nieces and nephews would come and like try and jump on his lap and like play with him and stuff. And he had to learn to not like put Christ aside, but to say like, I'm going to experience Christ through my nephews and my nieces, because that's how Christ is trying to speak to me right now. And in the same way, their goal, their call was to save the world essentially. But how can you save the world if you abandon the world when it needs you? Yeah. I think I said this last episode, whereas I watched this show and I kept thinking about like D and D. Yeah. And this is one of those things where as a DM, if you were to put them in that person's situation, they would look at the DM and, and like say like WTF, this is our mission, but morally, you know, my character's like lawful good. I want to do this, but I don't want to spend one or two sessions doing this thing when we could just keep continuing the story. It's a problem with like, this is an idea that D and D players don't understand that you like side quests are everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just so funny. Cause I think it's just like, if you haven't played D and D usually when you first play the first character you create is probably very similar to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the thing. It's like you learn more about yourself playing and we realize it's really human nature not to want to bypass and do the smaller things in order to not focus on the bigger thing that we're supposed to be doing. But no, I thought the same thing, just kind of different. But it's so funny because the best thing to do in a situation was to help that town. But if they didn't, they, they could have never stopped Lord Ozai. Like if they stopped to help that town, what do you do like morally? Mm-hmm. And that's a tough decision, but you do what's best right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and ultimately when they caught her, Aang joined her and then eventually they all joined together. Right. And, and they still had time. Yeah. They had four days extra. They were four days early to where they were going. And so right. do you sacrifice these people's dignity and even possibly their lives because you're running late. I mean, this, this is like uh, the good Samaritan. People are just passing by. These people need help. This is your neighbor. Yeah. They need you, right? And so it's very much a wake-up call. Unless you have anything else, I would like to close us just with the line that the lion turtle says to Aang. I think that's kind of a... Okay, well, then I have one thing so that you can close with that. Great. This is a, literally a tweet that I saw today. And I took a screenshot because I was like, yeah, let's see if there's anything to it. But it was a tweet that said, Avatar, the last airbender, is about a regular human being learning how to be the chosen one. And the legend of Korra is about the chosen one learning how to be a regular human being. And I just think that's the coolest thing ever. That's actually spot on. Yeah. Now, I know that's a little different as far as like the chosen one and all that stuff but just like the idea it goes back to like last week's episode of like the incarnate jesus and like ang being that but he's he's more you know in the beginning of this series he's more human flesh than he is that incarnate because he doesn't understand he's such so much of that that mystery of the the life of jesus we don't know because it's not documented of younger of younger jesus but but the, th- the one thing we do know is that he grew in age and wisdom, right? And so that he, he had to come into 
knowledge where his divine self knew who he was and what he was capable of, but his human self had to learn how to eat and how to walk and how to use the bathroom, you know? Well, I don't know what they had for bathrooms and around that time, but yeah. So I, I think that's, that's interesting too, as far as a perspective on who Christ is and who Ang is. Yeah. That's all I have. Okay. Well then that brings me to our, little message from the lion turtle, which gives Aang the insight into being able to remove or, or to energy bend, right? To remove Ozai's bending. So this is what he says. The true mind can weather all the lies and illusions without being lost. The true heart can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. Since beginningless time, darkness thrives in the void, but always yields to purifying light. I think this is interesting in light of the context of seeking redemption, how in the darkness, the one thing that darkness will always yield to is this purifying light. And as we constantly mention on this show, that light is Christ. With that, do you have any uh, challenges? I have one. This, I don't know what this looks like, where you're at or where your comfort level is or whatever during a pandemic. For some of you, this will be really easy. For others, maybe not, but do something this week on your own. Mm. Before I moved out to Texas, really, but also before this pandemic, one of my favorite things to do was to go on a solo movie trip. If you've ever been to the movie theater by yourself, it is phenomenal. Just go on no a solo date. Yeah, like no go, to, go to the dinner by yourself. Yeah, I, exactly. Do the whole thing. I used to just go... I know this sounds weird and you're like, is that healthy? But I used to go to like a bar by myself, just to get one drink and just have time by myself. Mm-hmm. And it's lovely. It's like some people I know I've talked to can't do it. Like they're super uncomfortable being in a movie theater by themselves. And I know as a, as a man, there's differences there, sure. but still just doing something on your own. So like I said, for some of you that have been quarantining on your own, that's fairly easy. But in that sense, I would say, what have you been like, what's become more of your habits of doing on your own? And what's something you are still sort of uncomfortable with within reason? Like, you know, would you be comfortable going out on a walk and you haven't really done that? But going and doing something on your own that you normally wouldn't do is mm-hmm. the really, is the real caveat. That's a challenge because it's really enlightening. And if you're uncomfortable the whole time, kind of embrace that and ask yourself, like, why am I uncomfortable doing this? you know, doing A or B by myself. Like, why do I want someone here? And I think that you can learn a lot about yourself that way. Yeah. All the while recognizing that just because you're alone doesn't mean you have to be lonely. Right. I know that's kind of a cheesy thing, but like, like we said, even when Zuko was alone, he was still being pursued. And in the same way, when you're alone, you're still being pursued. And so remember that Christ is with you in, in that moment. And a lot of us have had a lot of lonely time in the middle of this pandemic. So I, I definitely get where you're going with there. Yeah. My one challenge is to seek mercy, whether that be with a relationship or even more importantly, with your relationship with God, go to confession if possible, if at all possible. I know I went two weeks ago and it was amazing. It'd been way too long since I've gotten to go. So go to confession. If you can't, if you literally cannot go to confession, then do at least an act of contrition at very least, but seek mercy. I think it becomes harder and harder for us to see the hope 
when we don't seek the mercy. That was ultimately where we see Zuko finally have his his peace and and see that there was hope when he met Iroh. So seek mercy and seek it within yourself too, like Gordon was saying. Sweet. Shout outs. I really have none. It's the same. My my family, shout out to Adore, you know, for all they've helped. They've helped with the flight and a lot of stuff. Just and just a lot of, you know, every everyone again for their support and their help and all this. So that's really all I have. I want to give uh, shout outs again to people who I already talked about here, which are Kenzie and Cody, who both recommended this, Davis, who offered some insight, and then recent listener who's been crushing through a bunch of episodes, but Gracie Gibbon, uh, who's been offering some feedback too. So shout out to all of you guys. And Gordon, I'll let you kind of close this out here. But before we do, I, I want to let you guys know just some of the links that we're going to be dropping in the bottom. So like I said, there's that dot and line article on the Zuko arc. There's Screen Rant Top 15 Reasons Why Zuko's Arc is So Amazing. We have a YouTube video on why Zuko's redemption arc is successful, where all the other ones are failing. Geeks Under Grace article that broke down that prodigal son. IMDb on the whole TV show as well. And then last but not least, because we see so many specialty types of bending in season three, I have the entire chart of bending, including the specialty bending like energy bending, the combustion bending, lava bending, all that stuff on this chart. So you guys can check all that stuff out. Sweet. I just ripped the headphones out of my ears while you're talking. <laughs> Otherwise, thank you guys for joining us on the adventure. If you are brand new to this adventure, we have a website where you can check out, find more episodes and just more about us and what we do at thechristandculture.com. Um, and from there, you can easily find our social media but if not we have a facebook which is facebook forward slash the christ and culture we have a twitter which the handle is at on the adventure two and we also currently well not currently we've had it for a while we also have a patreon page where you know if you want to support us right now in this weird different time we've been kind of saying not to and kind of sending that support somewhere else but if you do want to support us we do have tiers where you can gain certain things like stickers and other special events such as a special episode uh, that we've had like five maybe four i don't know uh, that are only two patreon listeners Uh, i think we still have one spot where you can give us any topic and we'll cover it just for five people to hear and as clint mentioned at the beginning of this episode we will be doing a patreon episode a third avatar episode strictly hopefully on Uncle Iroh, possibly more of the stuff we didn't really get to cover because as we mentioned last episode, there's just so much. And, and one of the beauties to Patreon episodes besides the editing is we don't have time limits. We can just record for hours. We did, we did Zelda once and it was like Three two, and a half, two and a half hours long. I think I didn't even edit it. We just posted it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so if you'd like to... Do any of that, you can find it. I think Patreon forward slash the Christ and Culture, but you can always find all that stuff on our website. If you want to request any topics, if you have any feedback for what we can do better or what we're doing poorly in, you can email us through the website. Oh, as well as wherever you're listening to us, if you enjoy what we're doing, please give us that five-star rating so that more people can find us. And in this weird time of being in our home, you get to evangelize cool things of where Christ is in our everyday life. Does that sound good? Sounds amazing. 
All right. Otherwise, thank you guys for such a wonderful week with you. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.